Welcome to the latest USGA Green Section podcast, your source for all things golf course management. I'm John Petrovsky, host and education manager in the Green Section. In our first episode of 2024, we caught up with USGA agronomist Chris Neff. Chris talked about how things are going in the Southeast so far this winter, his role as an agronomist with the USGA, and he gave us some great tips to make sure the new year on the golf course gets off to a great start. Chris, thanks for taking the time to join us today. So uh, we thought we'd head south and see what's going on in your neck of the woods. And plus, I love talking with you. You always bring the positive energy. Before we get into it, you're well known in the Carolinas, but since you're our newest agronomist, can you briefly tell our listeners a little bit about your background? Sure, John. Well, I pre- appreciate the opportunity to meet up with you today and do this podcast. It's definitely fun. It's my third one I think I've done so far. So it's been, these, these are fun. These are these are good information and, and get to know techniques. So this is cool. Um, but just a little bit about me real quick. Obviously, in my uh, going into my sixth month as a, as a USGA agronomist covering the southeast uh South Carolina, Georgia, North Florida area. Um, I started out originally from Pennsylvania, moved to uh, Florida in my teens and uh, went to school at University of Florida. Had the opportunity after I graduated to work at TPC at Sawgrass and do five players championships. Um, so that kind of really laid a good foundation for me and, and, and moved me along in my career. I had the opportunity to then Move across town in Jacksonville to a, a great club called Timaquana Country Club. It's done done a few USGA championships. Um, I did the 2002 U.S. Senior Amateur, so I had a great opportunity there of, of preparing and setting up for for a USGA championship, and that kind of got my 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 juices flowing, if you want to call it that, for for championship golf. Um, after 13 years there, moved on to. Uh, South Carolina on the Hilton Head area at, at Wexford. I was there for almost 10 years and now in my new spot, I had uh, really had a good opportunity to really evaluate what I wanted to do later on in, in after being a superintendent for, for almost 30 years. And then I've got a great opportunity here to, to work what I feel like is the, the best golf agronomist in the world and the best association organization in, in the game of golf. Um, across the world. So here I am, glad to be here and looking forward to seeing everybody. Well, we're glad to have you. And I know you're already making an impact down there, helping courses in the Southeast. And your role as a USJ agronomist is a lot different. Um, visiting golf courses, it's much different than spending every day on the same golf course. So let's start off by maybe reflecting on 2023 a little bit. What's one thing that stood out to you or surprised you as you visited courses last year? Um. I, and, and to kind of go off of that, John, I think we all get stuck and it's not by nobody's fault. You get stuck in your own box when you're at the same facility every day. Um, so that has been really exciting to me to see new things and see see different people every day. But I think the most, what I would say eye-opening thing to me is is how golf has grown, how many rounds of golf that we are doing um, that diversity in golf now with with juniors, women golfer, senior golfer, and the way the golf courses are really starting to change. So I really have seen this, uh, whether it's new tees, newer golf courses that are maybe more player friendly, shorter, 
more options of teeing grounds. Um, and then the other eye-opening thing to me is with this influx of golfers is how many projects are actually going on, uh, whether it be new or present construction or present conversations for construction projects that are maybe two or three years down the road. It is really, really something to see about how much golf is impacting right now in 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 people's lives. I think we saw that yesterday. I think we got a it was on Twitter yesterday. 70 almost 78 million rounds last year. That's right. Yep. In in 2023 and it was up almost 2 million rounds. So that's uh that's so that that really to me is eye opening. Take the take the agronomy side of it. I think it was a good year after a slow spring, but uh really what the impact of golf is doing right now. Chris, yeah, for sure. You mentioned the amount of work going on as far as renovations. And in the Southeast, we're seeing a kind of a bubble of new golf courses down there, too. It's no secret there's a lot of renovation work going on. So are you seeing any trends as far as grass choices with some of these courses that are undertaking a renovation? Are they using the opportunity to maybe go with an improved variety or even switch species? Yeah, I think, uh, you know, on the standard side, when it comes to to Green's construction in the Southeast here, you know, Tiff Eagle, which has been a staple in this area for many, many years, has really become the the true turf type on Green's. Um, but yeah, it's without a doubt, it's it's opportunity. There's so many great varieties out there, whether it be a Tahoma 31, a Tiff Tough. There really is some new varieties that guys are really, are really starting to look at. Um, just right here in this area in South Carolina, we're starting to see a little bit of Northbridge. So that Tahoma 31 and Northbridge kind of coming out of that Oklahoma State um, research section. So, yeah, it's, it's exciting to see these new ones. Um, you know, uh, right now, Broom Sedge, which is a new one in South Carolina right here, is presently looking at just going back to what the old 419 Tiffway was. So. Um, so you got, you got that good and you know, what, what's the future and what, what was there? So it's exciting to see that, that, uh, there's some new varieties definitely out there. Very interesting to hear that. Yeah. You got to pick what's right for your course and make the right decision. For Without that. a doubt, whether it be cold tolerance, uh, playability, you know, these, these newer facilities are, are really have true mission. So, so they know, they know what they're looking for when they're picking a variety. Very good. Before Christmas, we had some significant coastal flooding in parts of the southeast and just had another bad storm recently. Seems like we've kind of swung into the El Nino this winter. What have you been seeing in your travels? How are folks recovering from these storms? And if it is a recurring issue at, a, at your course, what, what are some things you think, some steps you could take to, to help out? Yeah, you know, I think uh, this, at least this last two years, you know, we before this, I think we had seen an extended, what I would say, fall um, getting into the wintertime. I think we've seen some earlier dormancy. So everybody that I've seen in this southeast section, especially along the coast right here, has gone dormant a little bit earlier. Um, so you might see some painting techniques going on, um, maybe a little bit more overseeding in people's game plan this year. Uh Recovery wise, I think we had a really good fall going into the winter. I think everybody really had, we didn't have a lot of fungus pressure and, and, and 
really extreme, what I would say, weather experiences. So I think golf courses were stronger going into the winter season. So it's made that recovery time a little bit stronger. Um, I think that is definitely something that, that we're seeing getting into the year. Yeah, I know. I, it seems like a lot of the more severe damage from the flooding was isolated. So for sure, if you had if you had healthy turf going into it, it could maybe withstand, withstand it a little better. Yep. Chris, goosegrass is becoming more and more of a problematic weed, not just in your region, kind of everywhere. You wrote a great update for us on, recently on label changes to oxidizon, which is a very important tool against goosegrass. Could you quickly sum up what the EPA's decision on Ronstar could mean for golf courses? Uh, it's going to mean that we're going to need to be creative. Um, you're going to really need to start thinking out the box and really evaluating your property. Um, it looks like about six months from now, EPA will finally be given their final stamp on this uh, on this new labeling, new registration. So the good thing is, is you're going to have a year once that final stamp is. So I think it is going to get us through the, at least the summer of 2025. Um, but I think you're really going to need to start looking at maybe some older technologies, your pendimethylins, surfland, and then there's some new technologies out with ShoreGuard um, from New Farm that possibly could be on a fertilizer prill. So I think you're really going to need to start looking at newer products, better rotation, and really understanding when this when this new rule comes out with uh, Ronstar Oxidizon is evaluating how much maintained turf you actually have. And then a full rotation with that product and with other products. So I think it's really going to get us back to where we need to be, where you really need to, to rotate your product line around. That's right. It's not going to be an all out. It's a, I believe it's a 30% or something of your total maintain. Yeah, it'll, it'll, it'll wind up being 30%. So once again, if you, if you thought you were maintaining 80 acres before you evaluate in your product, I mean, your, your property of what you really have, you might have more acreage so that then you can tie more acreage back into your, in, into your rotational. Very good. Yeah. And the one upside, I guess, if there is an upside is that we have a, some time here to figure things out and come up with a plan going forward. Without a doubt, you're going to have a year of research. And then, so I would definitely tell you to start looking at some of these products, take your driving range and, and, and try these, these other products to really see how viable they are. That's great information, Chris. We appreciate that. And, uh, on that front, we're also keeping an eye on the EPA's interim decision on corethalonil as well, which would cut the rate on fairways, tees, and greens by up to 40%. No. Um, so the public comment period just closed on that issue, so we'll see what happens. Keep an eye on things. Another one of my favorite weeds, poa, annua. It's always a top concern for superintendents in the southeast. And now dormant turf, as you mentioned earlier, you're seeing a lot of dormancy out there in your travels. It does offer an opportunity to rotate in some kind of different modes of action like glyphosate and uh, other non-selective herbicides. What are some tips as far as timing those non-selective apps? You certainly don't want to have a little green green uh, grass down there underneath and, and ding it up with some non-selective herbicide applications targeting POA. Yeah, uh, I'm already starting to see in my travels at the beginning of the year golf courses going out with this uh, glyphosate or glufosinate 
application um, taking advantage of true dormancy. Um, it will be interesting to see coming up here, we even getting into the 30s along the coast in South Carolina, staying in there. So I think this dormancy might kind of linger. So you really need to watch that weather and do the, your timing at that point in time. A lot of different modes of actions um, with the, uh, the non-selective applications. So whether it be with a, a simazine application, something like that, or another uh, selective herbicide to control that poania. But I think you're looking at before February is going to need to be your definite timing um, and just keep evaluating. Unfortunately, with this rain yesterday, it's kind of flushing probably back some of this material back out. So these need the need for this non-selective application will be a, be a priority. Before we get too far into the weeds, Chris, let's uh, switch gears a bit. Folks with ultra dwarf Bermuda grass greens, they can get a little nervous when they see forecast temps below freezing for a few days. What are some suggestions about covering greens or other ways superintendents can minimize the risk of low temperature injury to ultra dwarf greens? So I always would, we, you know, and I've, I've had a couple of these, especially in the Atlanta market, um, getting ready for the, it's more about preparation, getting ready for the winter and getting ready for the difficulty that mother nature can give you. So, so keeping your, your fertility up, uh, starting to raise your, uh, your greens heights up to at least over 125 at that point in time will be a big, big benefit. I like to continue to see the use of a of a growth regulator at that point in time at lower rates, even you know, primo at maybe your one, one to two ounces is really nice. But really then starting to harden off that plant to get to that when that Christmas time into now where you're gonna start seeing these 30s linger for a couple of days. So then it comes down. Once you've hardened and you've strengthened that plant in the fall, um, what do you do when you got a cover? So I think a good rule would be when you're seeing 30 degrees, if you've got some difficult shady areas, uh, new greens that were maybe just planted that summer, it'd probably be a good recommendation to go ahead and put a cover on those greens. And it might be localized, maybe even an area. But in that 30 degree mark, you see it's going to stay there for a period of time. I would definitely start covering. Um, the rest of them that are maybe wide open, 25 degrees, I think is a good mark to really start looking at covering. And when you get below that 20 to 15 degrees, it's almost a double cover with maybe some pine straw up underneath that to really start to, to really watch and really really warm that blanket up, up underneath those, those covers. Um, making sure that your moisture levels are right. Use of a wetting agent before you put on, but to put these covers on is definitely a, a golden rule. And really just having a plan of attack and communicating that these covers could be on three or four days. Um, and then really making sure that you can give that plant back, you know, put play back on it after the fact. Um, making sure you got everything clean. But it's really a, a process that you've got to get into to, to protect those. And it's, I mean, we see it all the time. You can almost see if a cover falls off after maybe a storm, windstorm, 
you see a definitive line where that cover came off and has done some damage. So uh, the covers are definitely important for ultra dwarf greens. And there's been some great research by Oklahoma State and others on the oh, yeah, yeah. on and it it basically lines up with exactly what you said on those temperature thresholds and duration that can induce cold temperature injury. And I know cultivar matters a little bit. So if it's an issue at your course, definitely read up on that research. It was it was kind of some uh, groundbreaking research that's helped yep. out a lot of superintendents and and not cover when you don't need to and make sure it's out there when you need it. So, yeah, Chris, you mentioned painting turf earlier. It's something that continues to gain momentum out West as an alternative to overseeding. But y'all here in the Southeast, superintendents have been using colorants for a long time with uh, some pretty good results. What advice do you have for someone thinking about painting, whether it's an alternative to overseeding or not? And what tips would you have for somebody that's maybe not getting the results that they want? You are right. It is. It has become a a very, very popular agronomic tool uh, practice in everybody's programs in the Southeast, um, if you're definitely, if you're not overseeding. But uh, I would tell you earlier is better. So start with some fall applications. If you can do it in your budget, start these applications, these pigments and these colorants um, ahead of time. It's going to keep you, it's going to keep your color locked in longer, even after a frost. Because um, what you don't want to do, if you turn dormant, you don't. That's not the time to start doing a colorant, whether it's pigment or a dye. That's not the time to start it. Um, so obviously, doing this also with maybe some iron or a minor package, some type of uh, package to kind of to bond in some some uh, fertility into that spray is going to definitely help. And I would tell you, you know, you really need to look at whether it's a multiple application not only for coverage, but to continue the process. And this might be an every 30 to 45 day process starting early October. And you take that into your January, February time, and you know that your green up is going to start coming out in that March and April. It's going to help you keep color longer, but it's also going to help you with spring green up when you come back out. So it's a win-win all the way across the board. So having that plan ahead of time, making sure you've got it budgeted properly. And that's another one, just like what we were just talking about, um, products for goosegrass control and things. Experiment. You know, when I was a superintendent, I would do a pigment and a dye. I'd do a green pigment and then a black dye. I felt like that was good for me. So there's a lot of different ways. Experiment, listen to your vendors, and really utilize what's out there. There's a lot of good products. Yeah, I've seen some great examples. I know Charleston Municipal Course, their their yep. paint job on the green is fantastic. And yep. I know Brian Powell up at Old Chatham, he's got an excellent program. It's it's almost top secret. It's uh <laughs> it's, <laughs> he's he's got like my my uh grandma's borscht recipe. It's like he's not sharing <laughs> it with anybody. <laughs> you know, a, a part of why superintendents paint is because, you know, in the southeast winter is still a pretty busy time for golf. Now, that doesn't help necessarily with the traffic issue. So when you get these nice stretches of weather, the golfers come out in force. What are some ways superintendents can kind of minimize the damage from all that traffic? Well, I can tell you this, and, and we've, we, we've been part of a lot of clubs and helping them educate them in our, in our CCS visits of building basically a cart traffic program. 
whether it's closure of two or three holes at a time throughout the winter, um, maybe a cart path only every other day. Golfers are not going to go away. Um, you know, if, if we were doing 50 rounds a day in the winter five years ago, we're probably doing 125 rounds today. So they're not going to go away. So having that program early and starting it early and educating it early is going to be a big benefit. Um, also, the use of entry and exit stakes, whether it be roping in the entry point and the and the exit really works. Signage really works. Um, it's become more popular to go along with the closures. And I think everybody, especially some holes are, are out more wide in the open and then some holes are in the shade. So maybe, maybe those are going to be cart path only longer. Um, the other use is the usage of uh, the GPS programs on these golf carts. You have a facility that is that has got golf cart use. Um, the use of GPS technology is really great to keep golf carts off of fairways and rough, um, whether it's Visage or any of these other um, software packages that you can put on golf courses really help monitor. So, but early communication, early usage, it's going to help you get through the a rough winter and get you into the spring. So that when you are in back in the spring and the golf course is ready to to release more people out on it, you can you're ready to go. It's not going to make everybody happy, but at, at they, they will see the the benefits of of whatever program you're using to get to that point will will be a definite plus and uh, significant to your club and and the and the playability experience. Um, one key part of your job as a USGA agronomist that some folks may not be aware of is to provide agronomic support to USGA championships. So can you kind of explain what your role is at championships and also where you're headed to in 2024? So I will tell you, I, I didn't say this in my beginning, but this is one of my 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 big things with coming to, to work for the USGA as an agronomist is, is my love for championships. So, you know, we are really there as agronomic support for the championship director and the golf course superintendent along with the club. Um, whether it's before the event and doing initial site visits, making sure the agronomic programs are right and making sure where the golf course needs to be at that point in time will be vital. Uh, the other big thing for us during the championship, before practice round and during the championship, will be data collection. Um, whether it's firmness, green speed, Soil moisture, things like that, are very vital in our in our day while we're on site in in, in the championship. Um, the other thing is is being that liaison between the championship director and the superintendent. Uh, we have these, and, and John John will laugh at this. Uh, we have a we have two o'clock meetings that are world famous now across <laughs> across our championships, um, and this really gets the information out whether it's weather coming and making those proper changes, a maintenance practice that needs to change, whether it's maybe an extra mowing, an extra rolling, whatever that is, that's communicated. And you're really the, the liaison between getting that information out from the championship director to the the maintenance staff. So so you, you wear many hats as an agronomist during a championship. And 
were it's been fortunate to watch. I've been been able to watch a lot of great agronomists during this. I didn't didn't realize that we did that much until I started this role. So so it's been really really fun to watch that. And and a, a good thing to note is this isn't just for a couple of days. This this could be two weeks at a time that you could be on site. Um, this year I'm fortunate enough. I'm going to be working the uh, the four ball championship at Philly Cricket Club. So I get to watch. Mr. Mearsman and and his and his staff do their magic up there. I'm so I'm really really looking forward to to working that championship. I had the opportunity in 23 to work the the mid am at Sleepy Hollow, which you were at, John, and then also the junior am that I work side by side with uh, with Chris Hartwiger, another agronomist. So so I've gotten a good good role play real quick with it, and I'm looking forward to 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 being at some championships in 2024. We've just started using our GS3 at all of our championships. That's our new technology tool, the GS3 Smart Ball. And it's it's been fantastic seeing how seamless it is. You're out collecting the data on putting greens. Same simultaneously, the championship director, everybody's accessing that information. The superintendent in real time can see his speed and firmness and yep. maybe make some adjustments to some greens that might be a little, you know, speed demons or slow pokes. So that's fantastic. It really adds, I think, a little bit to you. And you also have are in the unique position of having hosted USGA championships and now, yep. now working them. So you've seen both sides of it. As we wrap up, Chris, you and I, along with the Pinehurst-based USGA staff, several notable superintendents and others, we recently attended the graduation ceremony for the first cohort of the new USGA Greenkeeper Apprenticeship Program which is run at Sand Hills Community College. It was really inspiring to see these students' hard work and dedication pay off, going to school, making this commitment while still working their full-time job at you know some pretty uh, recognizable golf courses. So kind of a two-parter, what are your thoughts about the labor challenges facing golf right now? And how do you think programs like GAP can help? Um, well, first off, I think that's going to be we're going to be on a crunch of finding good quality staff um, to perform these jobs with the expectations that whether it be your membership or golfers are expecting. So I think this is going to be a continuous issue. And I, I don't know if there's an end of it, John. I don't know if that we ever get to that point, but I can tell you um, I've, this has been discussed for many years a program similar to what this GAP um, program that the USGA has started. Um, all I can say is, wow, um, I had the privilege of, of being in some of these classes and watching this, and I didn't see it one-on-one -on -one with how they grew in that year of being part of the program, but I could see it in their faces when they were graduating with their families right there. Um and with their staff, I really think that is that is huge um, for this industry. Um, and I hope that this does not stop. And I think it's pretty exciting for us as employees of the USGA to really being able to serve with this program um, in the game of golf. I really think it's going to be monumental and, and, and be very vital. And it might be site-specific, whether resort, resort markets, things like that, um, similar to what Pinehurst is. Um, but I really think it's going to make an impact to these facilities. Uh, they're going to need people. 
Um, and they're going to need people that they can move along and train and, and let be. And, and what a great opportunity for these for these uh, folks to further their education. And it might build a foundation for them to further more education um, for them. So I think it's huge. I think it's great. I'm glad I'm part of it. I'm glad to watch it. And uh, I think it'll be a, a huge success going forward. And the second cohort has now begun their gap journey. So yep. we're definitely looking forward to the continued success of the program. The feedback from the industry has just been overwhelmingly positive. Um, and like you said, this has been attempted before, but we've kind of found a, a good recipe here for success in Pinehurst. And yep. hopefully we'll con- something we'll continue to see grow. And it's a program that's directly addressing one of the biggest challenges facing the industry. And I, I think that's what's really hitting home with people. Without a doubt. Well, Chris, while we're on the topic of education, I'll wrap up here by mentioning that the USGA is again presenting partner of the 2024 GCSAA Conference and Trade Show in Phoenix. So if any of our listeners are attending, please try to catch one of the many seminars that will be presented by our Green Section staff and definitely stop by our booth number 1957 next to the GCSAA TV stage. There you could meet with Chris and all our other agronomists. You can also check out our new GS3 Smart Ball. We will even have an opportunity to get a photo with the U.S. Open Trophy, which is something new this year, and tons of other good stuff. So if you're headed to Phoenix, please be sure to stop by the USGA Green Section booth at the trade show. Chris, thanks again for joining us. I know the Southeast is still kind of a busy time for you, so we appreciate you taking the time to join us today. Always enjoy chatting with you, and Hopefully everyone in the Southeast has a nice, quiet, uneventful rest of the winter and get off to a smooth start in the spring. Appreciate it, John. Thanks. Thanks for the opportunity. That's it for this edition of the USGA Green Section podcast. A special thanks to our multimedia specialist, Sean Dodge, for editing this episode. Please share, subscribe, and rate us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and keep up with our latest content on X and by subscribing to the Green Section Record, our twice a month digital publication covering all things golf course management.